Equine Veterinary Education Journal. This is the EVE Podcast. Hello and welcome to the August edition of the podcast. I'm Emma Carter. Today we shall be discussing two contrasting papers on intestinal surgery in standing horses. David Howes and I will be talking through his case discussion of intestinal resection and anastomosis in the late term broodmare. Then Claire Scantlebury and Richard Coomer will be discussing his original article looking at small intestinal biopsy and resection in 15 horses. The second interview begins at approximately 15 and a half minutes into the podcast. Case report. The first paper we shall be discussing is titled Successful Small Intestinal Resection and Anastomosis in a Late-Term Broodmare with Colic via Standing Left Flank Laparotomy. All papers can be accessed through the Early View articles on the Wiley Online Library. We are joined by the author, David House. David has been qualified for 23 years and has been working in New Zealand for the last 12 years, having gained his Australian membership in Equine Surgery Exam. He is also RCVS, Advanced Equine Orthopaedics Practitioner. Welcome, David. Thank you, Emma. Could you tell us about the signalment and presenting clinical picture in this mare? Yeah, she was a middle-aged, uh, late-term thoroughbred broodmare that was presented to us from nearby stud, having been visibly uncomfortable for the last 24 hours, lying down more frequently, kicking her abdomen and just being more subdued than normal. And what were the results of the clinical exams, blood works and diagnostic imaging which you undertook? Initial um, results were fairly unremarkable. She had reduced gut sounds, a slightly elevated heart rate. She was mildly pyrexic and that was about it. Rectal exam was really just, as, as with late-term brood mares, if you really can't feel much past the large gravid uterus. Blood work took her another day to come through because of the circumstances at the time. An initial abdominal ultrasound was also unremarkable. That progressed over the next 24 to 36 hours, while the mare was only variably responsive to pain relief. And a follow-up ultrasound the day after identified a small segment of thickened small intestine. What were the factors which led you to then making the decision from your investigations to attempt a standing laparotomy? There was a more than reasonable confidence that, that it was an isolated small intestinal lesion that should be accessible through a flank incision. But other reasons for choosing that as, a, as an elective procedure rather than because we couldn't go for general anaesthesia was to improve the prognosis for fetal welfare um, by avoiding general anaesthesia, knowing that we had full surgical facilities available should we need to proceed to midline laparotomy was also an important factor in being able to start by doing a flank approach. They were the, the main reasons for, for choosing. Is this approach one you have used for similar cases? I've not used it for standing um, colic surgeries before only on a more regular basis for uterine torsions in mares, which, which I suppose do present as mild colics usually, but obviously not um, intestinal ones. You know, that's a fairly routine procedure in our clinic to do that as a standing procedure. Following your incision, how did you locate the affected small intestine and then confirm that it was indeed an isolated lesion? 
literally came to hand quite quickly and quite easily. But the, the aim was to obviously locate the small intestine first and, and um, exteriorize a segment of that and then work through it progressively, either orally or aborally, until we found the abnormal segment that we'd identified with the abdominal ultrasound. And when we did identify that was near the ileal junction. So we really just had to work orally proximally to make sure that there were no no other obvious small intestinal lesions. And we did that really segment by segment. We might exteriorize one or two meters of small intestine. And then as we exteriorized any more, we were putting the same amount of intestine back, back in, of course. But it did require a couple of surgical assistants to facilitate that and to protect the intestines from wanting to fall out as they as they invariably do. Was that quite physically difficult to, to do, a bit awkward with the fact it was such a large gravid uterus at the same time to try and, and work around? Did that make it a bit more tricky? No, no, it didn't. It didn't, I think, because the uterus is, is more ventral, really, at that stage. You're working above that through a very high flank incision. An important factor in this, which has made it seem easier than it might otherwise have been, is that because it wasn't a strangulating lesion, and wasn't an excessive amount of proximal intestinal distension, handling the intestine was relatively easy. There was a small amount of passive build-up of fluid that you see with some of these small functional obstructions, but that was all easily milked through distally with just one pass and milking the intestines. If you were trying to manage a, a strangulating lesion with meters of grossly distended small intestine, that would have been much more hazardous trying to deal with that outside the abdomen through a flank approach without a better support. And that is something we've looked at retrospectively, wondering whether other facilities, such as having a, something like a colon tray that you could position next to the standing patient to rest the intestines on, not allowed you to do that more easily. During ligation of the mesenteric vessels, the mare had an acute but brief pain response as the ligatures were tightened. Is this a well-documented issue in horses, and what would have been your options to try and ameliorate this response? I don't think it's documented at all in horses, that particular response to, to ligating immediately. On the contrary, although there are other reports of you know, standing colic surgery and small intestinal resection, the only report of a pain response is reference to incising through the peritoneum, not through handling any of the viscera. So it was a surprise, it wasn't expected, and highlighted how any standing procedure has its potential hazards, and uh, one of those is unexpected movement um, from the patient. It could have progressed to a very difficult situation if the mare had continued to show pain response or gone down. Fortunately, that, that didn't happen. The amount of intestine being resected, they required only a couple of mains of the mesenteric vessels to be ligated. So after the first response, there was a pause to consider soaking a sponge with, with local anaesthetic with nipivacaine and holding that over the next one to be ligated for a few minutes before trying that. But I think it was at the time that idea was passed over and um, we ligated the other vessels and uh, didn't actually try and anaesthetise them. There's certainly no chance of being able to inject any local anaesthetic around them because the mesentery is so thin. If it was a, a repeatable response and you had a large area to do, then certainly trying to soak some local anaesthetic topically over that area might help. But I think without fully understanding how that pain response has been received, it's difficult to know whether even that would be effective. But I think that's one of the interesting points. It's a small point. It's an interesting point about that, that paper, and it highlights something new, 
whilst it's only one case report, I found it interesting when I was researching it a little bit for the discussion that a number of other reports that list a larger number of cases that were approached through a flank incision, two papers of interest um, report their cases following paravertebral anaesthesia, and they both report um, ineffective desensitization of the peritoneum, but, but neither report any, any um, pain responses in doing any small intestinal um, resection. So whether or not that's a better approach um, for, for desensitizing the, the, the viscera, uh, I don't know, but it might be. What are the difficulties in attempting this procedure in the standing animal? You've got the normal difficulties you face with, with in dealing with a large animal that, that you need to stand still for any period of time. So getting a nice even plane of, uh, of anaesthesia and analgesia is, is the first thing. So having enough people to help do that um, confidently um, as well as providing enough surgical assistance was, was important. Patient selection, I think, is always crucial. This was a, visibly a very quiet, good-natured mare that didn't mind people moving around her. And those are always better candidates than fractious animals that don't want you to be near them in the first place. I think facilities are also important. You know, our facilities at the time could have been improved because we didn't have stocks suitable for, for doing a, this approach in being able to lower at least one side of the stocks. So we actually performed it in an examination area with the mare just standing freely. That potentially could have been hazardous when she did become painful because she was able to walk a few steps forward. So the whole surgical team had to move forward with her, which um, was fine, but could have been more exciting if um, she didn't stop. It could have been quite exciting. Yeah. Would it be possible to perform this procedure laparoscopically? I I don't think it would be a practical thing to try and do the entire thing intra-abdominally, laparoscopically, but I do think laparoscopy would, would be a great benefit in being able to facilitate your handling of the intestines and, and, and give you more confidence that there weren't other lesions that potentially could be missed. Because the, the, the visual exposure is, is terrible for looking into the abdomen compared to a ventral midline incision. And we, we could have been dealing with a, an ischemic lesion of the small intestine that was part of multiple lesions affecting both small and large intestine. And the large intestine certainly wasn't exteriorized. It was just palpated to be in, in normal position as far as was possible. So it, we could easily have formed surgery and missed another lesion that could have led to the mare's demise or a second surgery later. Laparoscopy gives you more opportunity to visualise the abdomen while keeping the patient on its feet. In a clinic that's performing laparoscopy on a very regular basis, it becomes quite a slick procedure and doesn't hinder the whole procedure by having more equipment around. But I think that is the risk at the beginning when you start these procedures. The whole thing takes a lot longer if you're having to set up laparoscopy as, as well as perform the surgery. And what was the outcome for this mare? Great. Good outcome, really no complications after surgery. The wound healed well. She foaled, I think, five weeks after surgery and was, was served on her first heat and got, got in foal again. So um, a really good result. And from the owner's perspective, they were delighted because getting a live foal from this mare was, was of particular importance. And I think that's where we we improved the, the possibility of that by you know, not taking the, the mare to theatre and the general anaesthetic when the risks to 
whole, I think that it's greater. And you've touched on it a bit already, but could you just go into more detail about the benefits of standing laparotomy versus the midline approach under general anaesthesia? In this case, I think the, be- the benefits are more in favour of the fall because it's known that general anaesthesia causes fetal hypoxia and does affect um, increases of morbidity rates for foals in late-term pregnant broodmares. And so by avoiding general anaesthesia, we, we are looking after the foal's interest. It's difficult to compare complication rates of blank incisions with ventral midline incisions. I think if you just look at the statistics, then complication rates are quoted as being higher in flank incisions. But the potential for more catastrophic complications, particularly in a late-term broodmare or ventral midline incision, is much greater and much harder to manage post-optively than slight wound dehiscence, for example, in a flank incision. And so I think there was probably more of a, a personal feeling of content that we were able to do the surgery without having to manage large midline incision in a heavily pregnant broodmare. And so that was um, one positive benefit for doing it that way. And, and of course, the, the normal sort of risks of general anaesthesia and recovery, which are avoided by doing it that way. What are the associated risks of performing a standing laparotomy? The obvious ones are that you have an uncontrolled event that does affect the outcome. Um, We had an uncontrolled event that we weren't expecting when the mare showed painful responses to handling the intestine, but it was controllable by virtue of the mare being relatively quiet. Other potential risks are that you you miss something and that the surgery is fails in that sense, in that a second surgery is required. Those are probably the main two risks that you take on board when doing a standing procedure. Has this case influenced your recommendations for future similar cases? No, I don't think it has, because I think the vast majority of cases of, of, of intestinal colic in even late-term broodmares probably going to be taken to theatre. But it certainly encourages one to spend time in the diagnostic workup if it if it's available. You know, in acute colic cases, those are never really candidates to spend much time doing doing the diagnostic work, and um, they need surgery. But where there is time in the mild colic cases, using the ultrasound effectively and trying to identify the nature and extent of the lesions preoperatively, which we should be getting better at now may lead to us doing more standing procedures electively, or at least first up, whether or not some of those progress to general anaesthesia. So it would make me a little bit more confident to uh, to do that again. But generally, it hasn't changed any of my recommendations. Um, the approach to diagnostics and uh, recommended treatment options are still the same. Well, I think it's such an interesting case and it really brought forward some great discussion points. So thank you for joining us and sharing it with us. Oh, good. Good. No, well, it, was in, it was an enjoyable case to be part of and uh, an interesting process writing it up. So, um, yeah, thanks very much for having me online. Thank you to the author, David Howes. Original article. The second paper we will be discussing is titled Small Intestinal Biopsy and Resection in Standing Sedated Horses. EVE podcast host Claire Scandlebury is joined by author Richard Coomer. Richard is an equine surgeon at Cotsform Equine Hospital in the UK and a European diplomat of equine surgery. Yeah, so I'm surgeon in charge of the hospital at Cots. 
so I do the vast majority of the referral surgery here. I have a resident assistant surgeon who's training in his first year and we have 14 now ambulatory vets on the road sending things in so we're pretty busy. Well this article it presents a really interesting approach to biopsy and resection in standing sedated horses. Can you give a little bit of background about this technique? How long has it been used in your clinic? So the paper is a fairly typical retrospective in terms of there are essentially three different surgeons using slightly different techniques to achieve the same thing over a period of time. The unifying theme was taking small intestinal biopsies, understanding sedation as opposed to through general anaesthesia for various reasons. So the first case that we had in our series was in 2005 and that was an acute colic, the fatality in the, in the series. And the first case that was done for weight loss and malabsorption was in 2007. Dylan used the case a lot when he was in Sweden working at Stromsholm Equine Hospital along with Veronica Roberts and so they talked to me about it and I started, I did my first case in 2012. They come along fairly rarely in terms of the indications require a number of stars to align to need to do it and it's a very much a minority case. But nonetheless, we put all the cases together and there you go with 15 cases. So what sort of situations would you use this approach in? We've found it useful for investigating weight loss, absorption cases, intermittent pyrexia and the one acute colic case that we used proved not to be successful. So we didn't wouldn't recommend it for that. But anything really where it's a strong indication of some sort of intestinal disease, I want to exclude that or include that after full medical workup. What are the benefits in these kind of chronic cases? Well, obviously the, the dangers of general anaesthesia in horses, somewhere between one in a hundred and one in a thousand fatalities, depending on which review, and that hasn't really changed very much over the years, but advances in anaesthesia. So avoiding general anaesthesia is principal advantage number one. Some of the cases a lot of the cases we treated were experiencing extreme weight loss and were too weak to be safely anaesthetised. So that's another advantage. And then, of course, in the standing patient, you get a different, some might say, better view of the abdominal structures, a more physiological view, certainly. Um, in, in terms of being able to view the dorsal abdominal contents. Okay. So kind of accessibility and visibility in situ is important. Yeah. 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 In, in an ideal world, obviously, it's complementary to what you'll be able to see and feel through a ventral midline laparotomy. But in terms of obtaining these biopsies, there's no advantage at all in general anaesthesia. And you mentioned that there was one case where you've done standing, was it laparoscopy in an acute colic case? Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences with that and why you felt it was not successful for that particular case? So the acute colic case was one of those typical ones where we had a horse with a strangulating lipoma, clearly had strangulating small intestinal disease, was very endotoxic needed colic surgery and the owner basically refused colic surgery. It's not actually my case, that was one of my co-authors. He, as a last resort, rather than put the horse down, tried to do the resection anastomosis in the standing horse. He was successful in the resection anastomosis, but clearly the horse was going to be a difficult case from the get-go due to its endotoxemia and all the morbidity associated with small intestinal strangulations. Not really surprisingly, it, it didn't do very well and ended up being euthanized. 
fairly soon afterwards. So this was a kind of one-off situation, I suppose, and, and you're yeah. more recommending it for investigating different diagnoses rather than it being mm. a, a go-to for yeah, the, acute treatment. The unifying theme amongst all these cases was that the horse had a standing laparotomy and intestinal surgery, but the case I did, which was the successful end-to-end anastomosis, was very much an elective end-to-end anastomosis, although I suspect the horse could have had an obstruction in the fairly near future, and that went very well. So when I was putting the case series together, I went out looking for other surgeons who had experience of intestinal surgery. That's one of the strengths of the paper, isn't it, that you're drawing upon surgical experience from different equine centres across the kind of different surgeons and their different experiences. Are there any considerations of kind of surgical skill or surgical time involved with this technique? Is it very specialised? Well, clearly laparoscopy is requires specialist equipment. I wouldn't like to say that the skills and experience in doing laparoscopy are dramatically different to the skills and experience needed to do exploratory laparotomy or other forms of surgery, but clearly there's a, a skill level there. In some ways, you may say that doing extra abdominal intestinal biopsy and that resection is less technically skilled than trying to do it intra-abdominally, which is what the experimental papers describe in horses, but nobody's ever got around to publishing any clinical series of those. It's the most elegant way is to go in laparoscopically to the biopsies inside the abdomen and then stitch up your three little portals. The technique we described here is much more practical, requires a a less higher degree of skill and allows a rather more secure intestinal closure at the end. You mentioned that you're pulling together the cases from over quite a long time period to try and gather some evidence about it. What were the questions that you were initially trying to address in this article? Well, we wanted to describe the test, really. So it's important to see that this surgical technique is a diagnostic test, not a therapy. So we really wanted to know, did the diagnostic test significantly add morbidity other than that will be expected from the underlying condition? And in that, obviously, we found three wound infections, not really surprising in, in standing flank laparotomy wounds. Two horses got post-operative ileus, which was slightly unexpected. Obviously, we're reducing morbidity and risk relative to the test carried out under general anesthesia, which has never actually been published as a series. So we're testing it against something that for which there is nothing to test against. But, but I think purely in terms of testing it against the risk of morbidity against general anaesthesia, which in this subset of horses was both contraindicated in terms of weight loss and less safe and more expensive, it proved useful to give us a definitive diagnosis and guide subsequent treatment and prognosis. We felt that the morbidity we contributed by, through the technique was dwarfed by the morbidity caused by the underlying condition we were diagnosing. What were the surgical outcomes that you saw in this group? Well, we got three of the 15 horses develop incisional infections, which were successfully managed through drainage, and two horses developed ileus or reflux, which was managed not always successfully. But I suppose, I mean, obviously in, in colic surgery, you're, you're also going to have these kind of post-operative complications aren't you so mm-hmm. what do you think is needed in clinical research to be able to look at those outcomes do you think it's one of those annoying things that because nobody's ever published a series of 
small intestinal biopsies mm. under general anesthesia through laparotomy. We don't have a direct comparison and the underlying condition seems to be the main prognostic factor in terms of whether or not the horse is going to develop complications. Now, we did find a, you might call it a trend. I'm not sure you could even call it that based on such a small number of horses, but larger numbers of biopsies seem to slightly increase the risk of early post-operative complications, such as wound infections. And you can think of a logical reason why that would be, you know, through increased wound trauma and through longer duration of sedation, longer duration of surgery and increased bowel manipulation. But ultimately, these horses were at the end stage of quite a complex internal medicine workup or their underlying condition. And we were doing this test in a minority of those horses who really needed to have the answer in order to be able to guide the treatment and prognosis. Very much a minority interest or minority application technique. What would you like to see in the future? I mean, do, you, do you think there's scope for further development of this technique and adoption more widely in referral centres? Well, being aware that it's there, that it's a useful technique, it's totally applicable in standing horses, is useful. Obviously, the add-on in these, the vast majority of these horses were having biopsies. Two of them had resection and astenosis, which isn't described in standing horses. But I wouldn't want, you know, I think any of the authors would want readers to think that we're saying, look, you can do standing resection and astenosis, a small intestine, under sedation, and therefore you, you don't need to do colic surgery or you don't need to knock them out. That's far from the case. If doing biopsy is very much an end-stage minority test in weight loss cases, well then having the stars align and all things being right that it's a sensible and appropriate thing to do a standing resection and astomosis, well that really is a pretty unusual set of circumstances and I still feel to a certain extent that the success that we had was in part due to a little bit of luck as well as you know, careful surgical technique and all the other precautions that we took. So in terms of the future, well, it's just being aware of it, being aware that the test exists, there's relatively low morbidity, but it's not zero, and therefore it has a use in a minority of horses with weight loss, anorexia unknown origin, etc. Yeah, I mean, in cattle, then you quite often get standing flank incisions, don't you, and vertical mm. blocks and things like that. And that's quite a routine approach in cattle. You know, if you have got the, the clinical skill, the capability to do it, and a suitable patient, do you not think that it could be more widely adopted in the future if it's developed? It could potentially be, but anyone who's done a flank laparotomy in a cow and then tried to do it on a horse will see that there's a massive difference in terms of the access that you get. And the, the thickness of the body wall in horses, even very skinny ones, you're generally going having to do the gridiron incision through six inches of fairly or very vascular muscle layers. So it's not really surprising that they get an increased rate of wound complication. But even doing the length of laparotomy we describe in the paper, it's a tight fit to get your hand through the hole, and to think that gives you much in the way of access. On palpation is probably fairly misleading. So yes, it is, but probably no for some anatomical reasons as well. Okay. And what kind of advice do you give clients if they're thinking about this as an option? Well, typically the decision is fairly straightforward in terms of a lot of clients would prefer laparoscopy than laparotomy, at least in my experience. I mean, understand the differences and the reduced cost 
really never definitive diagnosis often means that it's a no-brainer as far as the client's concerned. Obviously, we discuss complications, as we've talked about in this interview, but relative to general anaesthesia, it's it's black and white. Now, some horses, these have a habit of coming in on a Thursday or a Friday, and then you want to do a laparoscopy, a laparoscopy, they need to wait for the week for that, and then they colour come a Sunday and end up having a laparotomy. I've had a few of those. So, you know, it's not always easy to, or not every case that would absolutely 100% benefit from it has it. But my experience is that most clients are very receptive and positive to the idea of laparoscopy. Is there anything else about the paper that you'd like to highlight? I don't think so. I mean, I've talked about the fact that the resection astomosis, we got lucky to a greater or lesser extent, at least with one of them. The pedunculated lipoma case was probably best in not to make it regardless. That will be accepted by all concerned. Um, but it, you know, it's still better to have tried and failed than to have just put it to sleep anyway. That was the feeling anyway. Yeah, that's right. yeah. oh. Brilliant. Thanks. Great. E V E. Thank you for listening. Join us again for the next edition of the E V E podcast. You can access more podcasts searching Equine Veterinary Education on iTunes, Podbean, or via the Beaver website. Goodbye. This is the Equine Veterinary Education Journal podcast.